My guest today is Curtis Brooks. From the man who wrote the book on human behavior, a special edition, Richard Flint Podcast. Let's talk about it. Let's talk human behavior. Welcome, Curtis. I am so glad you are here. Thank you very much, Richard. I'm glad to be here. Curtis, tell the people how we met. Well, uh, we met at a point in my life that was pretty low. Um, I was at a real estate meeting and trying to find a way to invest in real estate. And uh, I had heard about you. I saw that you were sitting in a corner uh, having dinner just before going on. And I knew that it was very rude to interrupt you, but I was drawn and had to find a way to interject myself into your life. Another one of those. <laughs> Just one quick question. <laughs> so um, that's really what I did. We, I came over. I brought my, my wife was with me at the time, and, and uh, I came to say hello to you and ask a couple of questions about uh, uh, how you put your life back together. And that was really how it started, and that's been you know, 10, 11 years ago. Yeah, and I, I think it's been close to 11 years since we first connected. Yes. And, and I got to tell you something, folks, as we go through the show and you learn about Curtis, I respect this guy immensely. I'm proud of him. I'm proud that he didn't roll over and play dead. I'm proud he decided to trust in himself. Since the listeners don't know Curtis Brooks, mm-hmm. tell them about you. Give them a history lesson about who Curtis was. Okay. Uh, well, I guess I'll start off with the part where I was flying pretty high. Uh, I was director of international development for a merchant banking group out of um, Dallas, Houston, London, New York. And it was my job to travel around the world and look at different uh, investment opportunities, making a choice on whether or not we were going to spend between 5 and $20 million with any particular company. That's uh, a lot of money, Curtis. Yeah, yeah it, was my, it, was, it, it was really came down to me pulling the trigger and saying, these are the folks we need to be with or not. Um, and so that was that was really pretty much the the pinnacle. I was, uh, you know, somebody's got to do that job, go around, entertain people, and and uh, you know, just travel the world and see what the world's like. And, and I got to do that for a lot of years. That was that was really really a great thing. Was that fun? Uh, yeah, it was. I had a tremendous. I mean, it's it's grueling. You know, the travel part. You know that it's very grueling. But I, man, it was a lot of fun because I was dealing with people at a very high level. I got to, to work with them, making determinations. And my job really was, was looking at the people. Uh, I had a wing, two wingmen. One was on Harvard MBA. The other one was a Wharton MBA. And they did the book work. Because actually, I'm dyslexic. And so it would not be good for me to be doing the book work for those things. However, my job was something they couldn't do. And that was determine whether or not the people we were going to invest in were snakes or were they real people. Because no matter what the business opportunity, if you're dealing with snakes, you're going to get bit. So that's what I was basically doing. I was doing that. And um, uh, then I met the love of my life, a wonderful lady, um, at a seminar in Atlanta, Georgia. And um, within about six or seven months, uh, decided that uh, I didn't want to do any of that stuff anymore, that I wanted to be with her and make nothing but moments. And had some money put away and could afford to do that. And, uh, you know, afterwards found out she had a lot more money than I did. So it was about making moments, and we didn't really have to worry about anything ever again. And at the ripe old age of forty-three, retired. Wow! And so we uh, and we did. We traveled the world. We had a, a place in Vegas. Uh, the last, you know, a great big house on the side of the mountain overlooked everything. We had a place in Mississippi, so we could be close to her kids, and that was um, 
five acres. I had my own private bass lake. Uh, you know, it was, it was really, you know, nice. Uh, and it was about making moments, seeing as many sunrises and looking at as many sunsets and having picnics and um, toasting each other with wine in exotic places. It was a, you know, somebody's got to live that life. Why not, why not me, you know? You deserved it, didn't you? Absolutely. I, I had you paid your price. Paid the price, had everything going for it, and uh, had set things up in such a way, you know, using all of my talents and my banking ability to to be able to, you know, have those investments done and, and run those accounts. Uh, we had our family attorney, who we had known for several years, uh, doing that for us and uh, making those investments. And so we had it pretty well set up, yeah, really did. And then? And then. And the word <laughs> then is an important word. <laughs> And then life happens, as Richard says. Um, one day we uh, we sort of woke up and and realized that um, we couldn't get in touch with our attorney. Our attorney had uh, disappeared, and with it, uh, so much of our invested money and so much of our money that we were basically broke. And so, at the ripe old age of um, forty, I guess forty eight, forty nine. I got the rare opportunity to start over from absolutely zero. Was that fearful? Um, boy, at the time, Richard, it was, I can do anything. But as it wore on a little bit further and further, the depression from it set in. The depression in the family was setting in where, you know, my wife was very obviously, you know, in turmoil and I was in turmoil and, and it started that, you know, it started a downward spiral that, uh, that I didn't know how to control that was outside of my skill set. So I found that I was, um, uh, really, you know, very depressed. Um, I was like that little ant, uh, that's on a piece of hot metal, you know, it runs around in circles and runs everywhere. It doesn't get anything done, but man, it sure is doing it fast. Today we're talking about getting up. What happens when life knocks you down? Because the fact is, life is going to knock you down. My guest today is Curtis Brooks. And we're talking about Curtis's story from going from a person who had it all. Man, did you hear him say he had his own bass lake? <laughs> yeah. You know what that would be like? Now, I'm not a fisherman, folks. I got to tell you, I don't have the patience to sit on a bank waiting for a dumb fish to come get on a hook. But having your own bass lake, that would be like me having my own golf course that would be amazing but then the day came when curtis had to wake up and face what was happening curtis go on well um yeah it did and it happened quick and and um uh, richard i'll tell you one thing about bass fishing when you have your own lake you can stock your own bass with whatever you want there and it uh, it's pretty easy to catch fish then so <laughs> well that might be fun <laughs> that was a whole lot more fun that way but basically after the crash and after the loss of the money um you know, I had to get it back together. I used my uh, analytical skills of taking looks at different kinds of businesses. And I looked and I thought that the one area that I could play in that would make money would be real estate. So we started doing some analysis on different areas. We finally picked an area which we thought was a good one, which was Tampa, St. Pete area. We went down there. Um, while we were there looking at the area, looking at the market, we were at the beach, um, got a little hot and sweaty. And, and I'm pretty fair-skinned, so, you know, I kind of stay out of the sun um, you know, these days a lot, but, um, I, I just, uh, was hot and sweaty. I reached over and did, you know, the double hand crossover, pull your t-shirt off thing. And as I did, my fingernail caught on my chest and I thought that was strange. Looked down and it was bleeding a little bit. And I thought, well, that's even stranger. So, you know, I thought maybe a sand flea bit me or something like that. Um, and I thought, well, you know, no worry, didn't, you know, but it kind of kept burning and kept hurting. And, 
And so uh, when we got back to um, Mississippi, um, you know, I went to the doctor just to get everything checked out a little bit. And they said, well, let's go ahead and take it off and, you know, just make sure. And, and um, you know, we'll get it results back in about, you know, eight, ten days, the typical kind of turn, turnaround time frame thing. And um, uh, that was on a Friday morning. On Saturday morning, I was at Walmart, and my um, mobile phone rang, which was one of those brick things at the time, you know? One of those big ones. One of those big ones, yeah. It was the smallest one you could get, but it was still a brick. And um, uh, it rang, and it was it was my doctor. Um, and she said, uh, wait, where are you? And I, I said, well, you know, I'm at Walmart. Um, we're, we're getting ready to buy some stuff for, you know, a barbecue. And she said, uh, hmm, why don't you go home and give me a call? And it was like pouring ice water from the top of my head to the bottom of my toes. And I said, uh, no way. You need to tell me whatever you need to tell me and you need to tell me now. And she said, well, um, you know, it's not good news. It's, um, third stage malignant melanoma and you know there's some situations and we just got to make sure we take care of it rather quickly and i said she said do you understand what i'm saying and i said well i, I mean i i got the cancer part but the third stage i don't know what that is <laughs> you know because i and she said well uh it's bad um it's it metastasizes very quickly third stage typically it's gone to several other organs in the body and we need to take action now what have you had to eat last night was the following statement she made and i said uh well you know oddly enough didn't eat anything last night because we ate early you know or late at eight lunch and just wasn't hungry i said i've had some water and this morning i haven't eaten anything because just didn't feel like it and she said great um we have an operating room standing by can you go too and so i went straight from walmart um, into the operating room and they removed uh, a mass from my chest. Um, and they said that, you know, that the piece that they had removed, that it was, uh, larger than that. And so this, the, where they had made the slice, it still continued through that slice and they had to go back in. So they went back in and did that. And, and then, um, you know, the prognosis came back that, uh, although they didn't see anything else and it had, they thought they had gotten it before it metastasized that typically when it's stage three, they give me a 20% chance of living five years. So now I'm with no money, no insurance. I mean, insurance, you know, we didn't have the money to pay insurances, so no insurances and, and trying to fight cancer that way. And, um, and at that point, it was like keep a stiff upper lip, but, man, I didn't know which way to turn. I was lost. I, I just can't imagine the emotions that, you know, you must be going through. I mean, because it just seems like what we were talking about earlier, the knockdowns just continued. Yeah, there was a point. Yeah, it was it was a while before I was able to, to make this statement. But when I started my recovery, you know, frankly, you know, next listening to you was I, I used to say it's I'm kind of like that radio station. And I said, what do you mean? And I said, the hits just keep on coming. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's kind of where I was. But but, you know, Richard, you know, this that really happened. And I said, you know, I'm going to get through this. And everybody thought I was being real chipper and everything. But I wasn't. You know, I really wasn't there. And. Uh, bad stuff really, really happens in twos, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. But sometimes there's a third. Sometimes there's a third one. And the third one was the probably, oh, well, it was. It was the most devastating to me emotionally and, I think, physically. And that was, is, is Richard, do you think I was being the person that I had been all my life, you know, to be able to put myself in a position to do those things? And the answer is no. I wasn't, in, I wasn't being Curtis. I was being this other person. 
and ultimately it left um, my wife with you know an ultimate decision of of her not being able to continue being lost in this world that I was lost in, and so the biggest loss was her, and uh, and I'd like to say it just quit there. So I also learned to never say, "Gee, it can't get any worse," <laughs> because during that time frame. Um, you know, I had lo- I thought I'd lost everything that really mattered, and then my dad died. Um, my friend of 13 years, my best friend Pepper, whom I'd had since a puppy died. Um, my mom came down with a very rare and, and difficult cancer as well. Um, there was just not a place in my life that was going okay. Nothing. Nothing. I mean, I was living with my 70-some-odd-year-old parents again. Didn't have a car. Um, couldn't afford to buy one. Um, I would like to say I had a few creditors at the door, but that would have been nice to say just a few. And uh, and that's where I was. Curtis, did you go through a point where you would just want to crawl over in the corner and just die? And just turn loose of everything? Well, there, it, there was a point, and, it, and I'd didn't do this on purpose, but I was, I just had to get away from things and, and living in the, you know, near the beach, I had gone down to a particular area called, um, um, over on the St. Pete side, Gulf Boulevard. And I was just, it was a cold kind of night and, and it hadn't been raining, but it was cold and overcast. Uh, and in Florida, that means 45 degrees, <laughs> but cold, cold, <laughs> cold yeah. and overcast, cold, cold and overcast. You've night. been around winter up north. That's cold. <laughs> And I had a sweater on, which is one of those rare days that we get to wear sweaters. And I was walking along the the road there, and I got to um, St. John's Pass, which is, you know, a bridge that, you know, kind of boats go under, big ones. And uh, and I was just standing on top of the bridge, looking down at the water go out, and which is, you know, not atypical for me. I mean, I would do that sort of thing. But I sat there and went, you know, the pain has to stop. There is so much pain, it's just got to stop. And I thought this would be pretty easy. You know, it would be fairly quick. It's high enough that it, it wasn't a tall bridge, but it was high enough. I thought it'd do the job. And I remembered the, you know, there was a couple of things that really kept me from, from making that stupid momentary choice just based on where I was at the time. And that was, is that it would be a, a huge betrayal to my daughter for her not to really have her father the way her father should be. Not this person who's depressed, running around and lost all the time, but the powerful person who she can learn from and who she deserves to learn from. And then secondly, it would be abandoning my mother, who did not deserve to be left in that situation with a granddaughter and no one else. And so those two things, obviously, were the, were the key points. And I said, I don't care how sick I am. I don't care that I have to pull off the road and throw up. I don't, I, it doesn't matter. They deserve the best of me, and I am going to give it one last shot, the best I know how, doing everything I can, once more into the breach. Was that like then, uh, on the bridge, it was sort of like a, a turning point for you? Oh, <laughs> turning point. It was the, I, I look back at it now and call it the moment, the moment of chrysalis, the moment of changing from the woolly worm that's lost in everything and truly sprouting wings and beginning to fly. Because I will say that within 30 days of that happening, um, my monetary situation was beginning to turn around hugely. I mean, I'd started doing multiple house deals. Um, 
you know, money started coming in in small chunks and not as big as it used to be that I remember back in the investment banking and then in the diamond world. But um, but truly, it came on very, very rapidly from that point forward. And um, and it was it was the moment of chrysalis. It was the point where everything in a moment changed. Isn't it amazing, folks, what can what you weaken the power of the mind? And what you and I can do whenever we create a whatever-it-takes attitude. And, and that's what Curtis was doing. On the bridge, looking down. His whole life just been pulled out from under him. I mean, can you imagine this? Lose everything you have financially. Be told that you have a third-stage cancer that can kill you. Have your wife leave you. Your pet, your dog of so many years <laughs> that has been your friend dies. Your mother is sick. You got everybody around you wanting to be paid because you owe them money. And everywhere you look, there's nothing but this pile of confusion. Everywhere you look, it seems like there's a dead end. Everywhere you go, you walk into a world of uncertainty. Now, have you ever been there? Maybe not to the point that Curtis have, but have you ever been there? Have you ever had a time when you just felt desolate? You felt alone. You felt by yourself. You felt that no one cared. And everywhere you looked, there was no answer. There was no way out. And all of us at some point in our life has been there or will be there because the truth is life is going to knock you down. It'll knock you down in different ways. It will contain different emotions. But the truth is life is going to knock you down. But the joy is you don't have to stay down. You can get up. And when you get up, you get up as a different person. We're talking about life knocking you down because the truth is life will knock you down. And the interesting thing is, it'll do it without asking your permission. My guest today is Curtis Brooks. And we've been talking about Curtis's life and everything that went through his life and the spiral he went through, because it wasn't just one knockdown. It was a series. Now, Curtis, as I sat here and listened to you, you know, I think, wow, this guy has been handed some pretty powerful knockdowns. And as you were going through this, it had to present you with some very, very interesting challenges. <laughs> and when you and I were talking earlier, and, and I found this so interesting, folks, and this is where my respect for this guy has just really grown, that these challenges became more than just challenges. They were opportunities. So, Curtis, you shared with me six. Mm -hmm. You shared with me six of the challenges. Share them with the folks, and let's talk about them. Okay, uh, the first one that came to mind when we started talking about it in, in retrospect was is, is it killed, absolutely killed my creativity. I couldn't think my way out of a paper bag. It, it was almost like I needed to be led around because the creativity about how to solve anything, it was just unbelievable, that loss of creativity. And I had always been a very creative person. I, you know, my hobbies are, are drawing and painting and um, and I love to read and I love to write. And, and I, I, I didn't want to do any of that. All the humor was gone. Nothing. It was like your brain just went away. Yeah. I didn't even recognize myself or anything. I gained 35 pounds. You know, it was terrible. You know, 
I, I truly lost. I, 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 there was no future. See, that was the thing that started to close down everything is when you lose that creativity, you see no, no possibility, no way out, no way to change. You're caught in that spiral in which, in which you think you're beginning to get something done, and then all of a sudden there's a whole new pickup load of junk dumped in your face, and you know, now you've got to work through that. You never get out of it. You know, it's, you're caught in that spiral. So you didn't know who you were? No. I, I, no, I didn't. I, I was back to being a, uh, you know, back in that little kid stage where you're trying to struggle to figure out if you're, you know, where you fit in the world. That had to just leave you with such an empty, empty feeling. Uh, yeah, I was, I was lost. I mean, to say lost is not even the right word. It was, um, I did not recognize me, nor did anybody else. Wow. So then that led you to your second challenge. Uh, yeah, that was the whole thing of self-worth. You know, am I worthy? The self-worth thing. And I had lost all of my confidence uh, in myself. There was no personal trust in my own abilities to get something done. Somebody would give something to me and say, go do this. And I would go, I don't know how to do that. And that was not me. I mean, I was the guy that could get anything done. I mean, I was the guy that when there was a problem in Bangkok and I'm in New York, I'm the first guy that they you know, pulled in off and put on a plane to go solve the problems. Because you had the creativity. Correct. To do it. You had the confidence where you believed in yourself. So that no matter what you were handed, you could, you felt I can step in the middle of this and just resolve this. Yeah. I was, I was always the go-to guy for most of my life. That's all what I remember is just being the go-to guy. If you have to have something done, you need to get Kurt on a plane and you need to get him there because he'll get it done and okay. it'll be done right. Now hear what he's saying. Cause that's just two of the six. But can you see what that would do to you? It makes you a stranger in your own body. You don't know who you are. You've been creative. Now you can't connect a thought. You've been this confident person that could walk into any situation and inside yourself believe, I'm here. I can take care of this. Now you're a person who doesn't believe that they can do anything. So that led to number three. Number three. Number three was a world of where my self-worthiness my self-worth, um, I could only pick up through the eyes of others. In other words, it, I was out to try and please everybody. I was uh, Anything that I did, I couldn't judge whether I had done it correctly or not. Only when somebody else said and gave me praise did I feel like I'd done it. And, and, and even then, I really didn't. I, because, of course, the other things were missing. That's creativity. And, this. and so I was living through the approval, looking for the approval of everyone else. And boy, does that set you up for some not cool times. <laughs> yeah. Well, what that does is it, it allows people to dangle you out there, and when they finish playing with you, they just cut the string. Sure. Yeah, you're, you're totally you know, expendable. You, you, you're, not, uh, you're not a person of worth, and so it just feeds your lack of self-worth. Boy, vicious cycle. Vicious. And then if you look at that, what, is it, what does it do? What is, it, is it attacks that self-worth? It also doesn't allow yourself to see yourself as a person of value. Mm. So everything, again, is just, can you see the spiral here, folks? That with the loss of creativity, the lack of self-worth, asking those questions, and then allowing people to define who you are, can you just see how each of these is just sucking more and more life out of you? Mm-hmm. 
But it doesn't stop there because no. there's still three more challenges that were put in front of him. Right. And 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 this is where upside of me came out that that I really, really surprised me and I did not like and really scared me. And that was is is I had told you about becoming a blaming person where I blamed everyone else and everything for the whole thing and and that it was all you know, it was it was attorneys who were crooks and it was um you know, women who didn't know what forever meant. And it was God for, you know, why me, God, why, why do I have cancer? What did I, you know, that sort of stuff. And, and it brought out an anger in me that had a double-edged sword of anger and guilt. And that anger and guilt about everything was just unbelievable. I mean, that, man, that still gives me. Was this a new sort of feeling for you? I mean, had anger ever been a part of your life? Um, you know, I think everybody probably does go through a, a, some periods where they they get angry about things because, yeah, I, I, I had made choices in my life early on which made made the difference in in me becoming that international banker kind of guy. Um, I was always kind of quiet spoken. I was always kind of a little bit reclusive, uh, and part of that came from the fact that you know teachers thought I was retarded and a lot of other things <laughs> based on based on you know dyslexia in the early years they didn't know what it was and they didn't know that it typically went with a very high IQ and and so they categorized me and and I categorized myself the way my teachers did and so there was a period in which I was very uh, meek and mild and then when I hit um when I was 15 I made the conscious choice that I will no longer live this way I've done this a couple of times and I said, I will no longer live You've this way. You've hit 15 a couple of times, or you've or made, the, made choice. the choice a couple of times. Oh, okay, I just wanted to be <laughs> well, sure I, well, there. I don't know, maybe 15 a couple of times. No, no, it was, I've come a couple of times in my life, there's been a place where I said, I am no longer going to live this way, drive a stake in the sand, and say, from this moment on, it's going to be different. And, um, and so, and I think everybody has to do that. So, yeah, there is a point of anger that I think I need to get to, where I'm angry, now not with others, but with myself. Now, what happened here was is I was angry with others. I was blaming and angry with all of them. And that wasn't me. And it scared me because I was getting really angry, very angry about what had happened. Why me? What did I do to deserve this? You know, that sort of, that sort of game. And, and, I mean, I hope you understand what Curtis is saying, is that anger that we turn outward allows us not to be responsible for what we have created. And it becomes an avoidance behavior. It becomes a way of not dealing with life. So what is it doing? It's feeding our confusion and not allowing us to have the clarity we need. And we all do this. I mean, how many times have you blamed something outward for something you didn't want to be accountable for inward? It's a game that people play when they don't want to be accountable. Correct. Got two more of these. Yep. Let me see if I can get through them here real, real quick. Um, the first one is, is I was not, uh, I couldn't make clear choices. You know, they, there was no clearing. There was no, uh, there was no choice that gave me clarity. There were only choices and I couldn't tell right from wrong, good from bad, which one was, you know, the old story, if you pick up a stick, you never know what's on the other end of the stick. And then, boy, that was it. It was like grabbing a ball of twine and who knew where it was going to go. So that was, that created a a process of me second guessing everything. I would make decisions or choices extremely slow. Uh, you know, sleep on it not overnight, but over weeks. And then when I finally made a choice, 
then I'd run around to everybody because I didn't have any self-worth. I'd run around to everybody that might know anything like a gas station attendant or, um, you know, just, <laughs> I mean, somebody working behind a, a counter or just anybody and start talking to them about, you know, what do you think about this? And they'd go, Ooh, I don't know about that. And I go, yeah, you're right. I better not do that. And, and you know, and, then, and so I was making choices very slowly and changing them in a flash. And so how do you get anywhere when you do that? You don't go anywhere. You go in circles. Yeah, absolutely. One more you have here, and this is, to me, was probably the most important. Well, this one, this one, and, and I've come up with another, a little bit of a better statement on how to explain that to you. Um, and, and I think Johnny Carson, the, the past host of The Tonight Show, said it one time when, when was asked, you know, what, what's it like being that? And he says, I'm afraid they're going to find out I'm a fraud and that I really shouldn't be here and I should have never, you know, made it to this level. And that was his fear that he always had that drove him on. Uh, I, w- I was pretty much the same way. I got to a point where I went, man, I've second-guessed myself so much. I've, all of this stuff, maybe me doing it and making it the first time through was just, you know, I had everybody fooled, and I really wasn't that guy. And and uh, and, and they're going to find out I've conned every, you know, it's all been a con, and it's all a fraud, and, and I'm not really worthy. And I'm not, I mean, just that whole thing came to feed together to where the point that I was like, what am I, a crook? You know, what what is this? You know, and I, and I lost virtually all confidence at one point. I bet you've been there. I bet there are some of these things that Curtis has been talking about that you identify with because they're how you live your life. Because until you and I can face our life from the inside out, everything becomes the, the, the result of what was outside in. So it's so easy to blame. But thank goodness Curtis rose above this. We're talking about getting up. Because the fact is, life will knock you down. That's not a statement. That's a truth. But even if life knocks you down, you have the right to get back up. But what happens to so many? They stay there. And every day they stay there, they're less of who they were. And they become the result of their pain, their frustration, their worry, their doubt, their uncertainty, their negativism. Now, I know Curtis. Like we said, we've known each other for several years. And I know that Curtis is a lesson-driven person. So I think it would be valuable to our listeners. If we turned everything that's happened to you, let's turn it around. And let's put it in some life's lessons. And hopefully these are lessons that our audience can adapt to and can learn from. So six lessons. Okay, six big ones. Um I am the sum total of my decisions. I am exactly where I have chosen to be. That was a tough one. And it, it is very much your statement that is behavior never lies. I was, um, you know, I had brought myself to this. I had structured it in such a way that I was the one that created it. And as soon as I realized that, it gave me the ability to actually begin to think creatively and change it, to, to transform from where I was to where I want to be. As long as it was everything else, everybody else's problem, as long as I did that, then I had no control. When I brought it to myself, I realized I had total control. That was a huge one. Behavior never lies. Yeah, and, you know, that's the three most powerful words that I've ever written. Because the essence of truth is not what you say, it's what you do. Correct. The second lesson. The second lessons. I had to learn to forgive others. I had to forgive uh, the people that I'd been blaming. It was not my wife. It was 
the way I was being that created that situation. It wasn't God. It was myself who decided I needed to be on the back of a big boat fishing or playing golf in the sun or laying out and doing that. I should have known better. It had nothing to do with God. Um, and, and okay, I don't like all attorneys really, but you know, (laughs) it was not the attorneys that, that I set it up in such a way that somebody could do that. And it took a lot of work to do that. It was me. So that was, I had to forgive others. And then the next one ties right into that one. Yeah. Then the next one is, is who's the biggest person that you have to forgive? Who's the number one person? And that's yourself. That's not easy. No, that one took a little longer than it thought that it was for me to think about that. I I thought about it. I said, you know, that's right. I need to need it. Okay. Kurt, I forgive you. Yeah, that didn't work that way. <laughs> it took quite an effort for me to real to actually come to the point of forgiveness. I, I forgave myself. I needed to, but I had to work through a lot of things for me to be able to, you know, forgive myself for setting up the finances so that not only did I lose, you know, what money I had, but I lost what money the love of my life had. I, you know, that was, you know, unbelievable that I'd set it up in such a way that the whole crash took place and my father never got to see me come back out of it. That was a big one that I had put my daughter through, you know, several years of of torture through her, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 kind of years. You know, it was tough for her. Those are the things. But I had to forgive myself because there's no way to move if you can't move from that. Because you're trapped. You're just you're just you're in this self self-designed prison. Oh, yeah, you are. You're your judge, executioner, jury, the whole nine yards. And you do it to yourself. Yeah. And you're exacting in it. Oh, man, can you be exacting in carrying out the judgment? Then so, number four. Number four. Uh, I had to stand in my own strength. I knew that I made clear choices before. I needed to make choices. I needed to know that I knew, I knew the way I used to do it, and here it is. I mean, simply the difference between people who are of wealth and people who do not have wealth is, is people who have wealth make choices quickly, and they stay with their choice until they get to a point where they know it's not right. But they do not make choices slowly, think about it for a year, and then barely put their toe into it and ask everybody their opinion of it. They make a choice rapidly. They change it very, very slowly. Other people make decisions slowly and change them very rapidly. That's not a good success way. No. So that was, a, that was that one. I like number five. Number five, I must be a person of my word. Um, no second guessing. And when I make a statement, I... I live by my word. I live by if I'm going to be say I'm going to be someplace at some at, a, at that particular time then I'm going to be there. And if I'm not there because the car ran out of gas it's because I didn't take care of what I needed to the day before. If I didn't take care of it, I mean whatever the situation is, if I give my word, then I'm going to do everything in my power to live by my word. And that's, I mean and that had to be I mean that had to be an inside out just foundation oh, builder. Yeah, I had to get I had to live my own, you know, the toughest one to live your word to is yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and then number 6, critically important. Um, number 6 is I realized that I had to do my best every day. My give it my best effort every day. Leave nothing in the bag. Leave, you know, get completely out of the stands and on the field, play it full out so there's nothing left. Um, and that's with anything that I'm doing. If I'm going to go play with my, my daughter, then, you know, I'm going to go play with my daughter and I'm not going to worry about business. I'm not going to worry about it, but I'm going to set it up so that I can do that. And I'm going to play full out with her. I'm going to play full out in business when I'm in business, when I'm here with Richard, I'm playing full out to make sure that it happens. Everything you do, you run it just as hard as you can, but understand that every day your energy level, your ability may be a little different and you cannot beat yourself up. Because that day, it wasn't your best ever day. You just, you just got to commit to being 
giving it your best that day. And I understand this because we were in Asheville and we were playing golf and we finished playing golf <laughs> and Curtis pulls in his golf cart and he says, look at my shoe. And he'd blown the bottom out of his shoe. He'd given it his best <laughs> and his best had just blown the bottom out of his shoe. I mean, folks, there is so much to what he's saying. I am the sum total of my decisions. Forgiveness. I had to forgive the people that I'd been blaming. Personal accountability. I also had to forgive myself. What was that about? Reestablishing his foundation of self-worth, of self-acceptance. Had to stand in my own strength. Rebuilding, recapturing his own personal strength. And his own personal trust in himself. I must be a person of my word. That I have to be true to me in order to be true to others. And I can't say what I don't mean because behavior never lies. And then I must do my best Every single day of my life. Do you know how few people do that? Most people just go up and go through their day and give it as little as they can. But to really grow and to stand tall within yourself, you got to give it your best every single day of your life. Curtis, if people had questions are for you, how would they reach you? Um, well, you have an email address? Yes, I do. The email address that I would like them to get in touch with me at is talentsrain. That's T-A-L-E-N-T-S-R-E-I-G-N at gmail.com. Talentsrain at gmail.com. And I encourage you, if you have questions for Curtis, email him. <laughs> <laughs>